Welcome to the Capital News. I'm your host, Alex Kreitas. Today is Sunday, March 6, 2022. Thank you so much for joining me. The title of today's podcast, Empty Stomachs Bring Revolutions. So this is a little bit of a continuation to yesterday's podcast where we did a weekly wrap-up. But a big part of that was discussing commodity prices, the sanctions that are currently placed upon Russia, and some of the retaliatory actions that are underway in Russia, and just some reactionary moves by other countries. And we cited Hungary as an example, because the government of Hungary has placed an export ban on all of their grain products. So these governments, these politicians want to protect their people, rightly so. They also want to protect themselves, because perhaps they understand that revolutions are fought on empty stomachs. And perhaps they also can see the writing on the wall. When you just do some basic analysis and understanding what commodities are held and produced by Russia, are held and produced by Ukraine and neighboring countries who may get involved in this conflict. When you put someone, something, some country into a corner, a wounded animal, if you will, can still be quite dangerous. So the fact that the United States and Western nations are putting significant financial restrictions and sanctions on Russia, and it will have an impact on that economy. There are things that exist within the arsenal for the Russians to retaliate with. They can say, okay, you want to shut down our banking sector. Of course, it's not entirely shut down, but it's significantly hindered. Well, guess what? You won't let us trade with money? We're not going to feed you. And now that might not be a major concern for the United States, because we're sort of the breadbasket of the world. We have our own resources here and quite a bit of farmland, which is a good thing. But what what about the rest of the world? And of course, those implications would tie in to the broader financial markets and, of course, impacting the U.S. economy as well. We are a global economy. We are very much so interconnected, and nobody on this planet fully grasps and understands the intricacies of that interconnectedness. That's why when you push on something on the left side, it can have major ramifications on something way downstream on the right side. And somebody just never thought to connect the dots, because that's how complex it can be. You want to shut down our banking system? We're going to shut off food production. We'll be fine. We can continue to feed our army. We can continue to give them energy, because we have it. We have the oil. We have the gas. We can refine it. We have the agricultural products. We're fine on that end. Financial, financially speaking, eh, not so much. So who knows what the U.S. and the West are perhaps trying to do? Maybe they're trying to cause internal strife to get the Russian people to rise up against Vladimir Putin and his government. That's something, of course, that we've tried and have have conducted many times over, not just in Russia, but in many other countries. And again, I am not here defending Russia. I'm simply giving that perspective because you're pretty much not going to hear that in the mainstream media. This whole thing is a quagmire. Russia's to blame. Ukraine is to blame. The United States is to blame. NATO nations and the European Union are to blame. 
Stay out of other people's business. Period. End of story. They have a problem. That's their problem. They have to deal with it. We shouldn't be sending a whole bunch of our resources to one country after the next where all we see is failed policy and the consequences of that in further escalation, which is where we are now, unfortunately, which means many lives are being lost and will continue to be so. Mind your own damn business. But for some reason, we just can't get that through our thick skulls. And now we have to deal with the consequences and on so many other fronts. And don't forget, too, that this conflict is the scapegoat of the day. It is the excuse of the day, the justification of the day of governments and central banks to say, well, look, it's not our fault. A multi, multi trillion dollar experiment over these past couple of years, flooding the system with global liquidity. Oh, no, we had nothing to do with the inflation that we're dealing with. That was all COVID-19. How convenient. And now it's the Russians fault. Again, how convenient. What's going to be next up on the list? All of these people starving. Well, nobody's, you know, but locusts, they're going to blame the locusts. That's next. All the food, nobody can eat, so people can't go to work, so there's no production, supply chains, everything's going to break down. They are never going to take responsibility for what they have done. They're the cause of all of this. Don't ever forget that. So I want to do just a quick recap. I'm just going to go through market performance, but just on commodities, because that's the main focus of today's podcast. So we have crude oil up at 100 nearly $116 that's WTI Brent at $118 a barrel natural gas $4.91 that's US prices Europe they're skyrocketing absolutely skyrocketing and of course again I have to reiterate natural gas is an input product for the manufacture of fertilizers so this is going to continue to get worse and worse and the other thing that we have to keep in mind is also the timeline where are we on the calendar It's now March. We're talking about food shortages, supply restrictions, export restrictions. What about just simply not being able to plant your crops? How many farmers are going to be planting their crops in Ukraine if they're at war? Or if Vladimir Putin and the Russians do take over, are they just going to halt it altogether and say, well, we'll keep all of it. We're not going to export it. To the Middle East and Asia, which is primarily where Ukrainian wheat gets exported to. And in total, you're talking about a billion people being impacted. Because that's where Ukrainian wheat goes. Mainly to Asia and the Middle East. Impacting nearly one billion people. You see how significant this is? You can see how crazy and out of control all of this can, can be in a very short order. And then as I've been stating here for the past week, week and a half, Russia and Belarus are two of the largest producers and exporters of fertilizers. So you better buckle up. Gasoline prices, which is something to talk about too, here in the States are now above $4 a gallon on average. We have not seen this type of price average since 2008. So in a way, this really is the Obama administration 2.0. 
But this is also the largest and the fastest, well, the largest, I should say, the largest 10-day price increase for gasoline. The only time we saw something comparable, when it was very close, was when Hurricane Katrina hit back in 2005. This is the fastest 10-day price increase for gasoline in the United States of America. And if I'm correct, this is just getting started. There's going to be further supply disruptions. I mean, the government can say, okay, we're going to cut the sales tax, whatever they want to do on gasoline. That's really of little impact at the end of the day. Then you're going to end up blowing even more deficits because now you're not going to have the funding for the other things. They've all boxed themselves in. And of course, those who are most impacted by being boxed in is us. It's the American people. They have access to the printing press. They're all the millionaires. Okay? They're fine. They have the bunkers. They have a getaway plan. What do you have? You're trapped. They've trapped us. That's what they wanted to do. You will own nothing, and you will like it. They are very much on that path to at least half of it, of the people owning nothing. But I don't think you're going to like it. But that's what they have to tell themselves. Gold. Up 2% on Friday's trading session, $1,970 an ounce. Silver up 2% as well, $25.67 per ounce. Copper almost up 3% on Friday's trading session, $4.89. Soybeans down slightly, but still up at nearly $17 a bushel. Wheat prices, which we've been focusing on here very closely, up another 3% in Friday's trading session, trading at $11.45 a bushel. Prices we have not seen since 2011 again going back to the Arab Spring. And lumber prices, relatively flat on Friday's session, but nonetheless still continuing to march higher, $1,452 per 1,000 linear board feet. So let's get into it here a little bit more by looking at a report, the Food and Agricultural Organization, FAO, of the United Nations. Now, this report just came out on... Friday. So good timing here. So like I have been doing in the past with going through the jobs report here, I'm now going to have to start going through this monthly report produced by the FAO, which is perfectly fine because I've been talking about food prices for the past couple of years too, but here we are. So the reason I wanted to focus on the jobs report and go through it in its entirety for the past year, year and a half was because of the unprecedented measures that were being taken by our government and by the Federal Reserve. And of course, to sort of give the audience a deeper dive and not just focus on the headline news that you're going to hear on CNN, Fox Business, CNBC, Bloomberg. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's focus on the important metrics. I'll still continue to do that. I know we just had a jobs report that came out. But again, with my time being a little bit more limited right now, I have to pick and choose what I really want to talk about. We know the jobs report is bogus, but one thing I do want to highlight before I get to this agricultural report is something to note in the jobs report was the cohort of 55 years and older coming back into the job market. So there was a narrative that was circulating over the past several months as to why people weren't coming back into the job market or people didn't want to work. And that was because the stock market was doing so fantastically well. 
that everybody's 401ks were skyrocketing, which allowed these older, this older age cohort to retire, retire early if they wanted to. Now, we didn't buy into that narrative, but it was one that was being pushed and we reported on it. Well, clearly that's starting to break because those individuals are coming back into the workforce. And what's of concern to me now going forward is we might see a reversal of what we have been witnessing over the past several months, where over the past several months, we have seen a bunch of help wanted signs all over the place, but presumably nobody wanted to fill those positions. Where we might be heading to now is the reverse of that, where there's not going to be that many job postings, but there's going to be a bunch of people who want to enter the labor force, but they're not going to be able to find jobs. Because it's obviously a good thing for people to be employed. But in the environment in which we find ourselves, we're going to start to see some major margin compression. So in a way that these businesses, small to large, are going to protect their costs, which of course are also going up because of inflation, they're going to lay people off to protect their bottom line. This is business 101. So this is why we're trapped. There's no good way out of this whatsoever. But what needs to happen is there needs to be a sit down. There needs to be a grown up conversation with what we have done and how we can remedy this. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a long process. But you have to start somewhere. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen because the Federal Reserve, the federal government is not going to take any responsibility. None of this is their fault. None of it whatsoever. So there's no way there's ever going to be some sort of coming to Jesus moment and we're all going to hold hands and, and get through this together as Americans or as a global community. Just not going to happen. We're going to have to hit rock bottom, unfortunately, and that's where we are headed. And this is further indication that that's where we're headed. The FAO food index price index rises to a new all-time high in February. The FAO food price index averaged 140.7 points in February of 2022, up 5.3 points, or 3.9%, from January, and as much as 24.1 points, or 20.7%, above its level a year ago. Let me repeat this. In February, the food price index went up by 4% from January. From a year ago, it is up nearly 21%. This represents a new all-time high, exceeding the previous top of February 2011. Remember, the Arab Spring, by 3.1 points. The February rise was led by large increases in vegetable oil and dairy price sub-indices. Cereals and meat prices were also up, while the sugar price sub-index fell for the third consecutive month. The FAO Cereal Price Index averaged 144.8 points in February, up 4.2 points, or 3%, from January. Excuse me on that phone. I'm going to get that real quick. My apologies. Up 3% from January. Okay, again, this is just the Cereal Price Index. And 18.7 points, or 14.8%, from one year ago. In February, prices of all major cereals increased from their respective values last month. World wheat prices, again, a major focus that we are paying close attention to here at the Capital News. World wheat price 
prices increased by 2.1%, largely reflecting new global supply uncertainties amid disruptions in the Black Sea region that could potentially hinder exports from Ukraine and the Russian Federation, two major wheat exporters. Coarse grain export prices also rose by 4.7%. World maize prices or corn prices increased by 5.1% month-on-month, underpinned by a combination of continued crop condition concerns in Argentina and Brazil. Rising wheat prices and uncertainty regarding maize exports from Ukraine, a major exporter. So you also have to add into the mix uncertainties around crop conditions in Argentina and Brazil as well. This is a global impact here. Among other coarse grains, both shortcom and barley export prices from prices firmed month on month as well, gaining 5.9 and 2.7% respectively. International, pri- international rice prices increased by 1.1% in February, primarily sustained by the appreciation of currencies of some exporters against the U.S. dollar and strong demand for fragrant rice from Near East Asian buyers. So that's just the cereal price index. Continuing to march higher and higher, uncertainties with Ukraine and Russia, and also uncertainties in Argentina and Brazil with respect to corn. And another thing I want to mention, corn is not just a foodstuff for human consumption, it's also a foodstuff to feed livestock. So if these prices continue to go up, in conjunction with fertilizer prices, what's going to happen to livestock supply? If it becomes more and more expensive to take care of livestock and you don't have the supply to do it, well, you're probably going to end up with fewer livestock, which again will end up leading to supply shortages and further price increases. The FAO Vegetable Oil Price Index averaged 201.7 points in February, up 15.8 points, or 8.5%, month-on-month, and marking a new record high. The continued price strength mostly stemmed from rising palm, soy, and sunflower oil prices. In February, international palm oil prices increased for the second consecutive month due to the sustained global import demand that coincided with reduced export availabilities from Indonesia the world's largest palm oil exporter. In the meantime, world soy oil values continue to rise on deteriorating soybean production prospects in South America. International sunflower oil prices also increased markedly, underpinned by concerns over the disruptions in the Black Sea region, which could potentially lower exports. Surging crude oil prices also lent support to the vegetable oil complex. Higher energy prices are going to bleed in to everything, ladies and gentlemen. That's how it works. The FAO Dairy Price Index averaged 141.1 points in February, up 8.5 points, or 6.4%, from January levels, marking the sixth consecutive monthly increase in placing the index 28 points, or 24.8%, above its value in the corresponding month last year. 25% dairy prices, up year over year. In February, international quotations for all dairy products represented in the index firmed, underpinned by the continued tightening of global markets on the back of lower-than-expected milk supplies in Western Europe and Oceania. Besides tight global supplies, persistent import demand, 
especially from North Asia and the Middle East, led to steep increases in whole milk powder and cheese price quotations. International skim milk powder prices rose significantly as well, reflecting a lower volume of milk deliveries for drying plants in Western Europe, while butter prices received a boost from high demand for spot supplies. The FAO Meat Price Index averaged 112.8 points in February, up 1.2 points, or 1.1% month-on-month, and 15 points, or 15.3%, from its level one year ago. In February, international bovine meat quotations reached a new record high, driven by strong global import demand amidst tight supplies of slaughter-ready cattle in Brazil. Again, Brazil's another hot topic here. And high demand for herd rebuilding in Australia. Herd rebuilding in Australia. Interesting. If all of these prices go up, how well do you think that's going to go? Pig meat prices also edged up, reflecting increased internal demand and scaled back hog supplies in the European Union and the United States of America. Quotations for bovine meat weakened for the fourth consecutive month due to high exportable supplies in Oceania. Meanwhile, poultry prices, excuse me, meanwhile, poultry meat prices fell slightly due to reduced imports by China following the end of the spring festival and lower domestic demand in Brazil. The FAO Sugar Price Index averaged 110.6 points in February, down 2.1 points or 1.9% from January, marking the third consecutive monthly decline and reaching its lowest level since last July. Favorable production prospects in major exporting countries, notably India and Thailand, coupled with improved growing conditions in Brazil, continued to weigh on sugar prices. Ethanol prices in Brazil declined for the third successive month in February on the back of reduced domestic demand, exerting further downward pressure on world sugar prices. However, the strengthening of the Brazilian real, their currency, against the U.S. dollar, which tends to restrain shipments from Brazil, the world's largest sugar exporter, prevented more sustainable sugar price declines. Okay, so that about summarizes it all right there. It's a decent report. It's brief because it's only really dealing with five baskets of commodities that comprise the food price index. But you are seeing sustained large movements in the price of these commodities. I mean, we are already above where we ended last year. This is out of control and unfortunately only going to get worse. Now, there's an interesting graph that they also provide here where it gives us the long-term trend, a long-term view of the price index going back to 1961. And it gives us the index in nominal and in real terms, which of course is beneficial to see that. In nominal terms, we are of course at our highest level. That's what we've just mentioned. The only thing that came close to the levels of where we are now was back in 2011, which again led to the Arab Spring and all of those revolutions, protests, riots, we remember. But in real terms, the last time we were at these levels, and it was slightly higher than where we are today, was back in 1975. 1975, ring a bell? Stagflation? Something that the Capital News has been talking about for the past couple of years, the environment that we were in, the environment that we are 
we're headed for and where we're going to continue to be. And of course, we're headed for a recession as well, given the increase in all of these prices, given a look at the yield curve, which I will spend another podcast discussing that at further length, because the yield curve is flattening and it's getting close to inverting. And when we see that inversion, we know recession is around the corner. I would argue that we never left the first the recession to begin with during the pandemic. But when you flood the market with trillions of dollars, whether it be phony or otherwise, I guess the eggheads who called the recession said, well, I guess it worked. So we're no longer in recession. I say that's bogus, bunch of hogwash, bunch of economic BS. But that's what they pulled. That's what they continue to do. So that is something that's very concerning, isn't it? In nominal terms, we are at the highest level ever on the food price index. In real terms, we are just slightly below the all-time high back in 1975, a stagflationary environment. Oil prices are also at levels seen during 2011. Again, when we saw those protests and revolutions taking place. So if you think that we're not going to see those types of movements again, I think you're crazy. And I don't even necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because it means people are waking up. It means people hopefully finally start to hold their politicians, their governments, and yes, their central banks accountable for what they have done. I hope they can see through the mess. I hope they can see through the noise that is being thrown at them in every direction to deflect the responsibility and accountability from taking place by our elected officials and even our appointed ones, like at the Federal Reserve. These people hold the keys to almost everything because you need money to do things on this planet for better or worse. And when they have access to a printing press and they have a license to use it and there's no restrictions on when and how they can use it, And there's no accountability for the fallout, for the actions that they've taken. Well, you can see how they can get away with it, don't you? It's not that hard to put the pieces of this puzzle together. But maybe, just maybe, hitting rock bottom is what needs to take place, unfortunately. Because we're far, we're not going to be proactive. That, That horse is out of the barn, it's gone. That's it. There's no proactive here. But... When can we start to be reactive? The sooner we can start to react to this, the better. The longer we wait, well, then, yeah, it's, it's basically guaranteed we're going to hit rock bottom, and then we're going to have to deal with it on the other side. And that's probably what's going to happen, because people aren't paying attention, and people buy into the propaganda that is just spewed all over the place. Doesn't matter the news organization. Doesn't matter if you have a favorite news organization. Fox News, MSNBC, doesn't matter. All baloney. All propaganda. Like I said yesterday, are there going to be bits and pieces of the truth sprinkled in there? Yes, of course, there's going to be. But it's basically all lies, misinformation, disinformation, and propaganda. Here in the U.S. media, Canadian media, the U.K., Russian, it's all propaganda. They all have a story to tell. They all have a bias. They all have a conclusion that they're hoping for, and that is what they are trying to sell. 
And it's not even any question anymore is, is well, if they, they think that if we repeat it over and over again, people will buy into it. It's no longer think. They know. They know that if they continue to repeat and repeat and repeat, people will finally say, well, that, must, that just simply must be the truth. We just went through this crap for the past two years with the pandemic. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear them, wear two, wear three. Yeah, they're not really any good. Take one shot, you're fully, you're fully vaccinated. No, you're going to need two. Oh, no, you don't need two, you need three. Is it safe for kids? Well, we don't really know yet. We're going to have to give it to them to see if it's safe for them. Just keep repeating it and people will just line up their own children to be used as guinea pigs. To take something they have no idea what's in it, because we're not allowed to know what's in it. Although that might be uh, turning face, so that we might finally get some tidbit information there. Not allowed to know the adverse effects, although that's turning the page too. And maybe that's why we have further distractions with Russia and Ukraine. Because now people get to see what's in the shot. Now people get to see all the adverse side effects that, that happened. Oh, can't let them know that they've been lied to or we withheld information. Can't let the people know that. They trusted us after all. Dr. Fauci, because he wears a white lab coat. And is told, or we're told, that he's the expert. And so we have to just simply blindly listen and follow the experts. Even when what they say is contradictory. What they say in one station... One week later, they say something else to a different station. But oh no, it's a consistent message, and you're just following the science. Although they never give you any science, they never cite any reports. They just say, do what we tell you. This is 1984. This is Big Brother. This is a banana republic. And if they can continue to march on this path, you're going to lead to ma- it's going to lead to massive starvation. Pandemic, war, starvation. That's what's coming. It's going to be biblical. Because there's really no end in sight. And all of this garbage was taking place, don't ever forget this, before COVID-19 and before this conflict with Russia. I'm on record. I have podcasts throughout 2019 talking about what was coming. Because I knew it wasn't the greatest economy ever on the face of the earth. We had protests In riots in 2019, remember Hong Kong, remember Brexit, remember a lot of other movements, some in the Middle East, some in South America. The floor was giving way. The writing was on the wall then. They've only made it that much worse with the actions that they have taken over the past couple of years. And now we all have to deal with the fallout. Everybody is trapped. So you know what to do. You stay diversified, you stay vigilant, and you stay with the Capital News. I am Alex Caritas. Godspeed.